Hi, welcome to the It's All About Relationships podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bird. This podcast is for people interested in making sustainable, qualitative relationships their objective. I want world peace, and I build world peace one world at a time, beginning with the relationship with self and extending outward to marriage and family, friends, community, and world. So if that's an objective you want to take up, come along. Hello and welcome back. I'm Justin Bird, your host. Hopefully by the time you're done listening to this podcast, one or more of your relationships will be improved. Something, any, just pick a thing and apply it and see what happens. Uh, This is part three of a book interview series with Chuck Solanus about my book, The Grand Design. So tune in, and if you'd like to grab the book, just click the link. So I hope you enjoy. So Justin, tell me what The Grand Design is. The Grand Design is how things operate. It's a formula for the interplay of all creative acts between two principles which are gendered, a masculine and a feminine principle. By that I don't mean male or female per se, um, but I mean it in a more of a yin-yang sense where um, these principles deal with their ideas, you know, light and dark, truth, error, um, acting, acted upon, or active, passive, giving, receiving, solution, need, God, world. How, how do you determine if something is feminine versus masculine in this formula? I suppose it doesn't really matter what we call them. I think because of the striking similarities b- between human males and females, I think, you know, perhaps we extrapolate from there. I don't know, I guess I'm piggybacking off of the works and words of others. There, are, there is strong correlation between femininity as a principle found in human males and females and the female body. Um, and there are strong corollaries between masculinity and the male body, but they're not, you know, they're not synonymous. So perhaps it's the strength of the correlation that I use those words. So you're saying that a male can demonstrate feminine principles and uh, a female can demonstrate masculine principles. And do. Not and just do. can, but do. Yeah. The, the, the roles in the formula are what they are. Uh, I'm happy for if any, you know, I'm happy to have a person describe them however they see them and use whatever words they choose, but the functionality won't change regardless of what word we use to label the function. So I got this from your book. It was Understanding the Nature of Relationships of Giving and Receiving is infinitely helpful for anyone interested in engineering some improvement into their relationships. Dysfunctional relationships, including private, public, and professional, do not reside outside of this formulaic map they simply have one or both parties stuck in front of one or both th- thresholds. What are these thresholds, and what 
what is it that this pattern helps us with relationships? Uh, well, in the visual, um, the, the, the pattern, the grand design is, is a circle. I also illustrate it as the uh, inf infinity loop, which is the, the circle unfolded, so into two circles. And the threshold is a horizontal line dividing that circle or those two circles. <clears throat> and the threshold is, is where the flow gets stuck. It's damnation. And so dysfunction is damnation. When you have party A, party B, and there's by design a flow that's supposed to occur between them, and it's not happening, that, that's damnation of the flow, and it also, that's damnation of the flow, and it also uh, results in dysfunction. That's what I would call, uh, so, so that party A and party B are not relating, They're, there's not the flow between them that is by design so intended to be there. So that's dysfunctional relationships at all, at all levels on all scales. Um, me and my brother, me and my kids, co-workers and yourself, um, politics is just group relationships. War is dysfunctional group relationships on a macro scale. But it's all the same result from uh, stoppage of flow at, these, at this threshold. And you consider flow as giving and receiving. Correct. So I'm, I'm, uh, my, I'm speaking about needs being met by resources. And when needs find the resources or solutions that they, re that they require to sustain life, that creates new life. So this is... Um, Need is uh, a, a, it's like death in that when you're in need of something, that, that is your life sort of yearning, reaching out, wanting to move forward, wanting to express itself, wanting to perpetuate. So needs seek the resources or solutions that life requires to sustain itself. That's a definition I've taken from Marshall Rosenberg author and founder of Nonviolent Communication. Hmm. So when a need is matched with a resource or solution that it's requiring, um, new life is created. Namely, the, the life that is lived or experienced or created or expressed when a need is paired with a solution or resource, well, that's new life. That's what we want. That's that's experience, and, and we want more and more and more of it. There's no end to how much of that we can tolerate and how much of that we want. And um, when the resource or solution is not paired with the need, then need remains, and that is, you know, a state of death. So <clears throat> that would be blockage. To have one, end, one party in need and another party with the solution to that need, but there's no exchange or flow between them. And that can happen for two reasons. One, because the party in need doesn't know they're in need or they don't acknowledge what their need is, or they don't make a request to get their need met, or their need is known and expressed and visible and apparent, and someone is nearby with a solution or resource, but they don't sacrifice that 
that solution. So the way that solution and need are paired up and new life is created is through the sacrifice of resources or solutions to those needs. So the party holding the resource or solution needs to be continually sacrificing to push through the threshold. Likewise, the one in need is um, must expose the need, must be vulnerable. So vulnerability exposes the need and attracts the resource, and then the resource holder must sacrifice the resource in order for needs to be continually meeting up with resources and new life to be continually created. And so the threshold for the person that is giving up their resources is... Sacrifice. Sacrifice. And that sacrifice begets what? The new life. The, the life that the need is seeking to sustain itself becomes manifest when the resource is given to that need. So the only benefit is to the receiver, or is there a benefit to the giver? So, so the giver beholds the new life and is, is delighted by it. Um, I don't know, I mean, what's the difference between watching fireworks and watching a pitch black curtain in a dark room? I mean, so as a giver, you know, there's, there's a strong correlation in, in procreation, which is an archetype for all of creation. And so the, the father position in procreation is, is very much like the giver position in all of human interaction, in that, you know, he offers up the resource that the family needs um, to perpetuate itself, and the result is a new child. So what does the dad get when a child is born? I mean, there's a lot of arguments, you know, in all directions about the benefit of making babies. Um, but my position would be that there is great reward. I would say the best reward, even though it's that baby's going to cost money, that baby's going to cost time, labor, blood, sweat, tears. It's, there's going to be all kinds of agony accompanying the the birthing and rearing and raising of that child into their 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, but to watch their life, you know, that's the firework against the black, the, the backdrop of, of nothingness. It's worth it. It's it just, just to behold that new life. That's the, that's the reward to the giver. And that's what you call glory, right? Yeah, in the book I call that glory. Glory or the giver's glow. The giver's glow. Yeah, it's, it's the new life that's created is its own life. And, you know, ownership isn't quite like we think of ownership of material possessions, right? If I buy a bunch of cameras or sporting equipment or baseball cards, I might put my name on it and then it's mine and I can keep it in my house or my closet and the reward to givers of resources who perpetuate life and continually create new life through sacrificing for others, it, it, that ownership isn't quite like the, collect, the hoarding of material possessions. It's because each new life that's created or, or perpetuated uh, is life in its own right. And, 
you're still sort of relegated to a, a watcher position as a parent. But I mean, any parent who watches kids live life knows there's joy in that. And likewise, outside of the family, um, um, outside of the family structure, um, or outside of the family application of, of the grand design, in other applications of the grand design, such as between friends, friendship, um, brotherly love, um, just doing good for your neighbor, right? Helping the unfortunate, feeding the, the hungry, things like this. There's still joy. There is a giver's glow. Um, when my kids and I volunteer at Feed My Starving Children, which is a charity where little packs of rice and nutrients are shipped out to the truly hungry in the world, where the meal can be made simply with boiling water. They're called manna packs named after the manna that came down from heaven in the Old Testament. You know, there's, there's real delight in that. Um, I think it would be more delightful if we could hand deliver the food and see the joy, right? So the glory is the, the, the happiness, the, the life experience, the smile on the person being fed, the, the delight of, of the new life, in any way that it expresses itself is sort of like clothing to the giver. The one who enabled that new life to be created, it kind of comes back as like a clothing of glory. And, but really it's simply just a matter of watching that new life and beholding it and being deeply fulfilled at seeing it exist, knowing that it wouldn't have existed if you hadn't made the sacrifice. So when there's like a lack of gratitude, per se, does that impair this giver's glow? Hmm. Like a lack of recognition that you put in significant work or you put in your resources. By the receiver mm -hmm. to the giver of resource. Right, so like the story of Jesus who healed the ten lepers, and they're experiencing new life. Mm -hmm. He gave a resource, they were in need, New life was created. They were clearly happier to not be leprous. But, yeah, the, the, it is, it, I think it completes the circle, the way I present it in the grand design, in this circular format or this, this formula. It completes the circle for the receiver in need. After receiving the resource that their life requires to sustain itself, and they experience this new bit of life to acknowledge the giver of that resource mm. with gratitude. Bo both to acknowledge that they would remain as dead or in some state of death or need had the resource holder not sacrificed the resource their need was requiring to create the new life. <clears throat> so but in addition to simply acknowledging the, the function of the flow, I mean, that's, that's not necessarily even grateful to make the acknowledgement. It's a literal observation. Um, but, but to also let that giver know that you appreciate their sacrifice. I do think that's part of the clothing of glory. Yeah, I think that that 
is, I think that that um, augments the joy that a giver might have anyway, even without the acknowledgement of gratitude, right? Um, I think that throughout a child's life, there's going to be ebbing and flowing of <laughs> gratitude toward parents. And I think, though, that the parents can maintain a certain delight or fulfillment at watching the life of their child that they created, whether that child returns gratitude or acknowledgement to them or not. So I don't know that the, the glory, as I define it, I don't know that the glory of a giver of resources who is creating new life, I don't know that gratitude and acknowledgement is requisite for, but I, but I do think that it, I think that it incentivizes continual flow. In other words, I think that a giver of resources is more likely to give more resource if the receiver of that resource is acknowledging them as source and grateful for their sacrifice. And so you, you sometimes connect this with human connection, but you also connect it with marriage. So how would that help? in a marital relationship? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is it's helpful infinitely. And it's helpful in an infinite number of ways going both ways between a, a husband and a wife. Uh, another way that comes to the forefront of my mind is in a traditional agreement where the parents agree to have one parent interfacing with the children they create and another parent working to earn the resources that enable that interfacing parent to stay in that role. So for example, um, traditionally a woman would take up this interfacing role within the walls of the home to be ever-present and available to the needs of children as they emerge so that they can be met on spot. And a father would work outside of the walls of the home to enable the mother's role. Um, the focus of both parents is on the children, that the children's needs are ever watched after and those needs are met in real time as they emerge. And in a situation like that, you have, you have children who are in, or the full-time receivers, and the mother is the full-time giver. Um, she, is, she is to the children in a way, um, the father, she's definitely in, in the father role there. Um, feeding them all the resources that the children that are meeting the children's needs are coming from mother or so they think um, they're definitely being filtered through mother but then the you know the, the the food in the cupboards the walls of the home being built or um, kept up by rent payments um, the lights staying on um, the electricity which feeds the TV, which plays the movies that the kids watch 40 times in a row. You know, this, these things are 
sustained by the father's work outside the home, the earning of the money, the money paying those bills and allowing those resources to be ever-present available to both the stay-at-home parent and the children. In a situation like that, it's helpful for acknowledgement and gratitude to be returned to that sacrificial role player. And I, I think it's pretty clear from, from what I know of the male experience that gratitude and acknowledgement for that fatherly role um, goes a long way to keep that role sustained. In other words, um, you know, the happier dad is with breaking his back at 40, 50, 60 hours a week in hard labor in order to keep the lights on and the food in the cupboards for the, the stay-at-home parent and the children, that role is, it almost seems impossible for a man to enjoy his work when it's, when it separates him from his family and his loved ones and also when it kills his body. You know, men die on average years before women. Less so much now because hard labor is less frequent. Um, but back when that was what men did for employment almost across the board, um, you know, men died significantly sooner and 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 you'd think that that role would be like like terrible that no one would ever want that role people would be avoiding it at all costs and certainly that a father couldn't ever be happy in that role but yet gratitude and acknowledgement for continually making sacrifices um, really is really does sustain um, it, it it brings so much internal joy and meaning and delight that I really think that that's the most sustainable way to keep a man in that role is to constantly return acknowledgement. Likewise, the mother in her role with the children, she, you know, she's going to want them to acknowledge her sacrifice, right? Um, to acknowledge her ever-present availability for the kids and her continually running to and fro, meeting the needs of children as they emerge. She's going to want them to acknowledge and return gratitude for her role that she's playing with them. And um, from the male and, and the children. Right, right. So I, I'm just seeing it as sort of like, as like, a, a, like, a, like a folding order of things. It's like I'm seeing a, a, like a set between children and mom or stay-at-home parent and then a set between stay-at-home parent and work outside the home parent and how... The you know in in mother to children and um, father to mother, and there's a pattern between each of those sets that is um, articulated and even illustrated in the book. And in each set, you have givers and you have receivers of resources, and it's the exchange, it's the flow of resources as needs emerge that creates the new life. And so you want flow between every relationship where someone's in need and someone is able to meet that need somehow. You want people exposing their needs, living in vulnerability like children, or do so well. And you also want people willing at all times to make sacrifices that will meet those needs so that new life can be created. This is what 
you want in families, but it's what we want everywhere. It's what we want every time we engage with people, and it's what we want in our communities, and it's what we want in our nations, and it's what we want as a world to have a world where people feel able to say, here are my needs, and then have other people say, well, I, I can find resources to meet those needs. And so you have a world where everybody's needs are being met, and it's win-win-wins across the board, which is obviously very different than how we're living life now or how, we're, how life is operating presently on the planet where you have people hoarding resources and, and not sacrificing resources and watching other people suffer in need in a state of death and somehow they're okay with that because they don't see the interconnectedness of, of, of the people, of the players. And that's pretty tragic. Well, it's it's death. It perpetuates death, it, and it's creating it's created cyclical death over throughout history. You know, I've studied political science with an emphasis on political theory at UCLA. And when you study history, all you're studying is cycles of death over and over and over again, because people generally are blind to the complete picture of the interconnectedness of, of beings. Mm -hmm. And so because people don't see the connectedness, um, they think that they can neglect and do harm to other um, without harm to self. And one of the benefits that I um, hope come from the grand design, um, bringing awareness of the grand design, or the operation of things as they really are, is that an increased visibility of the interconnectedness of, of players um, will stimulate more flow in our relationships so that more people will feel will will be willing to be vulnerable with their needs and that more people will be willing to sacrifice resources to meet those needs. So you just imagine a world where you got a need, someone says, I got it. Yeah, I mean, I see that all the time in families, right? Kids mm -hmm. are in a state of nothing but need. And you have parents who find nothing but joy in meeting those needs. I, don't, I can't totally explain it. Yeah. I know it works because I'm a dad, and I find joy in meeting my son's needs. But I can't explain why sacrifice feels so good. Uh, but it does. And yeah, that's not only like the micro world, that I'd like to see in every within the, with the walls of every home where children grow up. But I would like to see it outside of the walls of homes too. I'd like to see it in communities. I'd like to see a town where people say, yeah, here I'm needing this. And people, and people with abundance, extra resources say, yeah, I can meet that need. And both find delight in it. And new life is continually created. And the focus is on having needs met, having my needs met, my family's needs met, my neighbor's needs met. And once needs are met, we're, we're satisfied. We just, we feel like the way we do after a good meal. We're just content. And we're not clamoring, we're not clawing for more, to have bigger than, greater than, more than. We're just always either in a state of need and then we work to get the need met and then when the need's met, we're happy. And that is life and we seek nothing beyond that. Um, or, you know, we, are, and, and when we're in that state of contentedness because our needs are met, we look around and we try to meet needs and fill needs with our abundance. And I mean, that's a, that's a happy, sustainable 
world, right? That's a terrestrial, a celestial world. It's definitely a better world than the world we're living in. And, and that's, I feel like, where we have to go to get out of the cyclical death that our, you know, we've been in mm. throughout recorded history. Are you talking about death as in just mortal death, like birth death, or are you talking like human relationships, or what, what are yes. you talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes to all. And there's a, um, there's a political science term. It's called, I think it's called the human, the human condition. No, it's the human... I forget. I was tested on it. Um, but it's, it's noted, it's been observed, that throughout recorded history, there's just sort of repetitious um, tragedy, right? War, genocide. Um, over and over and over again uh, because people haven't yet elevated their sights um, to see the whole grand design. They just kind of get stuck in their half and the half of self and they don't really ever develop the eyes to see the half of other. Um, so they don't know that how other self and other are connected. They don't and so they don't change how, how we treat others and how we treat others is how we build communities or destroy communities. So you're talking about self and other, like wh why not others? Like, Well, because again, I, I just see everything within a set of this formula. So uh, just one at a time, one at a time. You know, uh, if, if you got a community of 10 people, then um, and you're trying to engineer a sustainably happy community of 10, um, and I'm working with just one member of that community, then it's going to be that member of the community and one other member of the community, and that's going to be a relationship. And there's going to be giving and receiving, and there's going to be dysfunction or damnation at the threshold between the giving and receiving formula. And there's going to be reasons, right, and stories about why that damnation or stagnation is occurring between that one person and that one other person. And then as soon as you shift to that one person and another person in the community, it's going to be a whole other set of reasons why that flow is not occurring, why a new life is not being created sustainably and to everyone's satisfaction. And so, you know, to group all others into one, there's, there can be utility in doing that at times, but um, I guess just the way I operate and the way I consult with people is I like to just work on the one relationship that's in focus and you know we can move from relationship to relationship and change our focus as much as we want but um, the grand design or the formula of relationships has application between two parties and so I'm saying when I say self and other I'm wanting to apply the formula to any given dynamic of self and other I'm Justin Bird, wishing you the very best with your relationship sustainability. Es wird doch alles wieder gut, nur ein kleines bisschen Mut.